This is Lars. Thanks again for checking out my podcast. Enjoy your day and the show, and let's make America great again. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, You can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit IRAAdvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's IRAAdvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly at 866-HEY-LARS. As you know, naysayers go to the head of the line. And if you want to email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. Our Twitter poll, you can find that at Lars Larson Show or at LarsLarson.com. Now, I might introduce this young lady as perhaps the ultimate kind of naysayer, uh, but in a good way in this case. She is Lynn County Sheriff Michelle Duncan, and she put out a statement. I began getting copies of it from your fans, Sheriff Duncan, uh, yesterday on ballot measure 114, which at this point appears to be passing and will become law very shortly. Sheriff Duncan, uh, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. What so that I don't contaminate your statements? I want I want you to tell my audience what you think of ballot measure one one four and what you, as the sheriff of Lynn County, plan to do with it. So uh, you know, there's there's really two parts of one one four, and um, you know that are concerning to me. And the first part about the limitations or restrictions on uh, magazine capacities, uh, as anyone following. Um, you know, the, the gun laws out there know that while I think it was while 114 was still um, initiative uh, getting ready to be on the ballot or had just been put on the ballot, uh, the Supreme Court had made a ruling that talked to about the Ninth Circuit's court upholding that those limitations and basically said that they were erroneous in what they considered and sent it back down. With that said, Looking at that Supreme Court ruling, um, I can't in good conscience, uh, you know, continue to uh, enforce something that the Supreme Court has has so uh, specifically questioned. Um, I also, uh, I believe that the role of the sheriff is to uh, look at the people. The people here in Lynn County um, definitely voted 114 down. Uh, I'm not saying that... um, I have the ability to necessarily not follow the law, but I do have discretion on when and which laws we follow. Um, it's no different than whether I'm going to use my resources to, uh, you know, uh, cite every person jaywalking in the community. That's not something that our community would want us spending time on. Okay, and that's fair. Let me ask you about some of the specifics because, Sheriff, I've, I've, of course, I took a position uh, all the way through against Measure 114, and I mm-hmm. think there are a number of things not to like about it. Let me start with a couple of the obvious ones. 
it appears that Measure 114, which I think goes into effect 30 days after certification of the vote, so that would put it sometime in the first week of January, common question, it appears not to exempt law enforcement. So I would imagine you encourage strongly all of your deputies off-duty to carry a gun. Um, perhaps their own gun may be their service weapon. Are they? Are your deputies going to be illegally carrying a gun if after Measure 114 goes into effect, they are carrying a pistol that is capable of or does hold more than 10 rounds? Well, and, that, and that, that's part of the vagueness of the law is that it doesn't specifically, uh, at least from what I've read, addressed, you know, is that all, only while they're on duty or does that include while they're off duty as well? Um, you know, because they are, there are certain laws already in place that allow us to carry concealed, those kinds of things um, as law enforcement. So, you know, the other side of it, which uh, is the permitting side. Um, I wanted to get to that in a moment, but before we leave that one. Sure. It, it appears to me and to some of the people I talk to who know the law and have studied it well, it appears to say your deputies can carry a 10 plus magazine in their gun while they're on duty. But it does not give them an exemption to carry when they're off duty, which means we could literally have a sheriff's deputy uh, if if they happen to encounter a state police officer uh, out while doing their duties. Say, are you carrying your 17 round uh, Glock uh, off duty? Well, yes, I am. Well, then I'm going to have to arrest you because you've broken Measure 114. I mean, that's the kind of ridiculous result. It sounds like Measure 114 is setting up. Yeah, it, and again, that's that's some of the the clarification that we're going to be waiting for, um, because that you know something like that is completely ludicrous. I'm talking to Linden County Sheriff Michelle Duncan, and I always like sheriffs better because they're elected by the people and answerable to the people. Now, on the permit end of this, Measure 114 contemplates that the only time a citizen, including an off-duty cop, can buy a gun is if they have a permit. But to get the permit, they have to take a class, and they say the class must be certified by law enforcement. Are you aware of whether law enforcement plans, uh, whether in your county, the local police departments or your sheriff's department or other sheriff's department and police departments, do they have any plan to offer those classes or to provide the permits and how soon? And, you know, we're going to do everything we can to make it as easy as we can on our, our constituents of whatever whatever we do have to do. Um, I Again, talking about the vagueness of the law, to me, that doesn't necessarily say that the sheriff's office has to put on the classes. We may just have to certify instructors, uh, but all of that takes time and resources away from public safety. And, you know, that's where my other concern with the permitting is, is that, you know, we all in in government have very finite budgets uh, to have to transfer people from other positions so that they can um, process these permits or conduct these permits. However, that ends up being clarified of what exactly is our role in that. Uh, We're all looking at at shifting resources um, from public safety to now uh, clerks using to do permitting. And by the way, I want you to comment on one issue that a number of us have brought up, and that is it also says that when you issue that permit, that the list of the permit holders that you've issued, that has to be public. So you're going to tell every thief in Lynn County, uh, here are all the folks who just bought a brand new gun. So, go, you know, if they're thieves, go to their houses because they just bought new firearms. Now, maybe they've got a safe. I hope they do. Maybe they don't. But you've given the thieves a big boost from my point of view. I'd like to hear what Sheriff Michelle Duncan has to say about the idea of providing a list and you maintaining a list of everyone who seeks to buy a gun. 
Well, you know, what's funny is is I think I've talked to people on, um, you know, both sides of, of the political spectrum, and that was one thing that they both had in common that concerned them was uh, not only this list, but a list of people uh, that now law enforcement has a searchable database to do when they haven't done anything wrong. And, you know, I I personally don't want that responsibility. And, you know, it's intrusive. uh, Again, doesn't matter which side of the the politics you're on. I I think a lot of people have found that in particular uh, just overly intrusive. Last question. If one of your deputies after 114 goes into effect, stop someone and they're carrying a pistol and the pistol has a 10 plus magazine, are your deputies going to cite them or arrest them? No. Sheriff Duncan, this is why I like the very responsive county sheriffs of, uh, of America. And we've got lots of them. And there are too many counties that have decided uh, to make their sheriffs appointed. I want them to stay elected just as you are. And I so appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me on the show. That is the sheriff of Lynn County, Michelle Duncan. And I'd love to hear the same kind of line from a lot of other law enforcement. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show at the Radio Northwest Network. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Well, two days ago, American voters largely chose more of the same in the election, and it appears that's what we're going to get right between the eyes. Well, yesterday, Joe Biden took a bit of a victory lap. A reporter asked him at a press conference about the 75 percent of Americans who tell pollsters this country is moving in the wrong direction. So what is Joe planning to change? Literally his answer in one word, nothing. The latest inflation number shows 7.7 percent. Now, when Joe Biden took office, it was 1.4 percent or about 80 percent lower, literally 80 percent lower. But Joe wants Americans to adjust to a new normal. So the mainstream media is telling us 7-7 is really good news because it's almost half a percentage point lower than the 8.2 we saw last month. Average gas price, three eighty a gallon, a buck forty higher than on Inauguration Day, and that is the nationwide average. Diesel for heating homes and driving cargo, America's down to a three-and-a-half-week supply, but it hasn't gone any lower in the last couple of weeks. So the new normal says that's the good news. A big technological country like America that depends on diesel fuel to run the long-haul trucks, the trains, the ships that carry all that cargo to run the farms that grow your food. We're down to three and a half weeks supply, but that's good because it hasn't gone any lower. Can you wrap your head around that as the new normal? Biden still drains America's emergency stockpile of oil, but with oil now at $90 a barrel and oilprice.com predicting $100 a barrel very soon, Joe says he has plans to refill the reserve. You might remember that it was Democrats who told Donald Trump no just a couple of years ago when Donald Trump proposed refilling the strategic reserve and leaving it full and filling it at $25 a barrel. Of course, this is the same Joe Biden who just yesterday talked about how the Russians were pulling their troops out of Fallujah, Iraq. Let's go, Brandon. For the rest of us, buckle up. It promises to be a wild ride. From my email. 
And boy, have I been getting a lot with concerns about the ballot uh, and about drop-offs and about whether or not your ballot was even counted or even received. Uh, Jenny Riken writes in, Lars, I dropped off my ballot at the Washington County Elections Office Tuesday morning. It still has not been counted, and she checked this morning. And on Twitter, this one from Andrew Peller, elections officials urged people to vote early. What could go wrong? Pennsylvania elected a dead guy. Fetterman no doubt doubt benefited from votes occurring before his painful debate. We can expect more incumbents to avoid debates as long as possible and certainly wait till the last minute. Building a better Biden-style basement candidacy base is great for democracy, isn't it? Signed, Andrew. And our question of the day, this one comes in from Heather Collier. Heather wrote, please talk about how many of us in Clackamas County have not yet had our ballots counted. She checked online. Her ballot has not been counted because we waited to vote till Election Day. How can the race be called for Tina Kotek when there are still many Republicans who waited till Tuesday to vote? Only 60% of Clackamas County is counted, signed Heather. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just Pave It, serving Southwest Washington. This has to be, as I mentioned, one of the most common communications I've received in the last two days since the election on Tuesday. Dozens and dozens of emails from folks who cast a ballot for Tuesday's election. Some of them did it weeks before the deadline in both Oregon and Washington, yet they find no confirmation that their vote was even received, let alone counted. Now, I picked this one from Jenny because it's representative of all the rest and it's very well worded. Jenny writes, Lars, something seems to be amiss with our current election. My husband and I walked our ballots in to the elections office on Friday, November 4th, and neither of them has been marked as received or counted as of today, Thursday. I took these screenshots this morning. She sent me a couple of pictures to prove her point. I'm hearing from a large number of others in multiple counties that they are seeing the same thing. Can you please spread awareness surrounding this concern? Thank you, signed Jenny. Yeah, I'd actually encourage people to go out and find out whether or not their ballot is marked as received. And what seems really strange is there were other states, states like Florida and other states, who managed to get their entire election counted in in a single day or just over a day. And yet there are other states like Colorado and Arizona that seem to have some problems, and Oregon and Washington. Now, today's best email, uh, but you can send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. The best email of the day is brought to you every day by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Pacific Northwest. Currently hiring, and they're paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. The MEIGroup.com. Jason writes in from Albany. Lars, I love your show. Last night I went to a gun store to buy an AR-15 due to Measure 114 passing. There were so many people there, they had a ticket stand to pull numbers for service. I was there for two and a, two and a half hours. And I did not take home my new rifle due to the backlog of background checks. The worker told me that when he checked, there were over 5,500 checks backlogged. I have a concealed carry permit, which moved me up in line. I was still number 160. 
That was at 8 p.m. I'm not sure these crazy libs intended on putting more guns into law-abiding hands with passing this law, but that's exactly what's happening. The workers said it was busier than Black Friday sales with less staff. I probably would not have bought this rifle for a couple of years till my son is old enough to shoot it, but out of fear of not being able to get it, I had to say, pull the trigger. Thanks for what you do and keep your powder dry. Signed, Jason in Albany. And I got this one as well. And I just had to share this one with you, too. Matt Swindell writes, And Lars, as I was filling my car this morning, I asked the gentleman next to me filling his diesel pickup truck with fuel if he was ready for the 47-cent gas tax that Governor Jay Inslee is imposing on us on the first of the year. He said, it is what it is. It's the way of the world now. This is what's wrong with the American people, just accepting what the elite shoved down our throats. Unfortunately, based on what just happened in the midterms, I believe a lot of people have just given up. I didn't ask him if he knew that in 2035, he'd no longer be able to fill that diesel truck with fuel as it's going to be outlawed. I, for one, will never accept our rights being taken away. Keep up the good fight. Thanks for all you do. Matt Swindell. Send those emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let me go to uh, Will. Hey, Will, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. What's on your mind? Lars, three things. We talked about this two or three months ago about Prospero, third party. The young thing, there's two sides to a coin. It ain't going to land on its edge. And if, you know, if something don't fit, it's either too big or too small. That's it. Three, four parties will never, ever work. I agree. In fact, I think three parties, four parties, Israel has a couple of dozen parties, and they're my favorite example. They're a country that culturally is very much like us, economically and otherwise. They have a couple of dozen parties, and they have a tough time putting together any kind of representative government because their Congress, called the Knesset, they have to get a whole bunch of parties to all get together in the same room, and if they don't, then they don't have a government. Can you imagine what chaos there'd be on Capitol Hill if there were four or five political parties and you had to get a majority of some of them to form a Congress? Doesn't make sense. You got the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Uh, I know we've been talking guns a lot. It's one of the, I think, biggest changes that has happened here in the Pacific Northwest. Politicians get elected every couple of years. But when you pass a law that becomes America's effectively the first de facto ban on buying guns, and I've had a number of people challenging that, but you heard what the sheriff had to say, Sheriff Duncan of Lynn County. So I decided to make today's Twitter poll very easy. Should Oregon County sheriffs enforce the unconstitutional requirements of Measure 114? Sheriff Duncan says she will instruct her deputies not to do that because she says the U.S. Supreme Court has already decided that matter. I think that's a very brave stance. If your sheriff is not going to do that, then you may want to consider a new sheriff at the next election. In the meantime, I've invited my friend Alan Gottlieb, who's founder of the Second Amendment Foundation, to come on the show. Alan, welcome back, because there's a very specific question I want to ask you about this. Good to be back with you, and go for your question, Lars. All right. So Measure 114, that is a de facto ban, and I back that up by saying it says you have to have a permit to buy a gun. I don't think you should have to have a permit to exercise any constitutional right, and I think the courts will shoot it down, but that's going to take time. In the meantime, 
uh, since the classes aren't being offered, the permit system isn't set up. As of about the first week of January, there isn't a gun store in Oregon that will be able to sell a single firearm to anybody because nobody will have a permit, because nobody's taken the class, because the classes don't exist. Now, maybe there are law enforcement agencies that will move quickly on this, although it's not required by the law, it's anticipated by the law, and it's not funded in the law. So, how quickly can groups like yours and maybe even the Second Amendment Foundation get this into court? And how quickly can we get a judge to shoot it down? Very, very good questions. First of all, the Second Amendment Foundation already has the first draft of the complaint done to be filed. We have already have some of our plaintiffs lined up. We're still working on plaintiffs. We've got a national law firm uh, behind it and we have a local council retained. So we're ready to go uh, pretty quickly at this juncture. But the second part of your question, Lars, was how quickly can you get the courts to act? And that's the unknown question here. Let me give an example. In neighboring Washington state, uh, we're still fighting an initiative that was passed a number of years ago. Uh, we finally just got a court date for oral arguments in January. Uh, you know, and, and, and that, that's been like a number of years. We also have another suit filed against the magazine ban in Washington state that we just got a judge last month to finally put a trial date as December 2023, which is oh over a God. year away from now before you can even get into court. So the courts are, uh, if you get anti-gun judges, what they're doing is just slow walking this because they know they're going to lose eventually. And so they're doing everything they can to, to retard us from getting into court to get our, our, our judgment day. Uh, so it's hard to say how quickly we're going to get this to move. Our intent is to try and move it as quickly as possible. But then again, we have judges that, you know, it's ruled by man, not ruled by law. And anything they can do to, to try and mess us up, they will do. Eventually, the Supreme Court will rule on these and we're going to win again. And there's no two ways about it. But, but you get these anti-gun people that just don't care about the rule of law. Well, let me ask you this. Can you venue shop a little bit by saying we because you'll have to go to federal court. But does that mean you have to go to to a federal judge in the state of Oregon or can you pick any of them on the West Coast? No, we have to go to a federal judge in the state of Oregon. And like one of our problems is, you know, when you have Democratic senators who've been there for like a long time and a lot of judges appointed by Democratic presidents, uh, you know, uh, who've been blessed by the Democratic U.S. senators to get their nominations through, uh, you don't have a whole lot of good clean picking, so to speak, of judges that are going to be okay. impartial. And that's part of our problem. Well, let me ask you this then. I mean, you're, you're the lawyer, not me. But if you go to a judge and you say, when somebody walks into, let's say, Vote certification, I think, will come about the 8th of December. Then the law goes into effect 30 days later, about 8th of January. So if on the 9th or 10th of January, a citizen walks into a gun store and says, I want to buy a gun, and the gun store says, you may not buy a gun, you do not have a permit, you have not taken the class, you have not complied with Measure 114. And the person says, but the class doesn't exist, and the permit system doesn't exist, so the government has locked me out of a federal civil right. If you've got people who are being actively being denied their civil rights right now, you know, not prospectively down the line, can you go to a judge and say, right now there are literally thousands, there are 5,500 people in the waiting line to buy guns right now. There's a huge thirst for being able to buy firearms. And that's literally been going on for years now with Obama spurred a lot of gun sales, Biden has spurred a lot of gun sales. If you go to a judge and say, we've got 
tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people whose civil rights are being abridged right now. Is that enough to say for, for a judge to say, well, then we have to act right now. We can't tell all those people, I'm sorry, your civil rights are going to be abrogated for the next two years until we get this one all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, let me tell you how that works. First, let me say, first of all, I'm innocent. I'm not an attorney. So uh, oh, sorry about I, that, I'm Alan. speaking as a, as a layperson. But let me give you the example I'm going to give. You. We just filed suit in New York against their new sensitive places law where they don't allow people who are licensed to carry handguns. Oh, so you can't go to them. synagogue with a gun, right? Right, okay. Well, or a church. We just got two things. One, the judge gave us a temporary restraining order against the law being enforced. And then he gave us a preliminary injunction saying that we're likely to win a trial is even greater. And so we've got two strikes against it already so they can't enforce it in New York. We will obviously in Oregon do the same thing, but you never know for sure if a judge who's maybe anti-gun is going to give you a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction. We will definitely be asking for those. How quickly then, if you say we're going to walk in, we're going to get told no by this anti-gun judge who's going to substitute his own personal view instead of the Constitution, how quickly can you get the Ninth Circus Court to act? Because they've actually acted somewhat conservatively in recent years. They've actually, I mean, there have been a few decisions lately that I thought, hey, this is sounding like a more conservative court. Can they take take up an outrage like that and quickly overturn it? Well, if a judge denies us our preliminary injunction, we can then take it up to the appeals court immediately, either have them institute a preliminary injunction at their level or to try and, and, and uh, make the case, you know, get heard quicker. Uh, but again, you have a situation where judges can just stall. They don't have to immediately, there's no timeline when they have to give you a ruling one way or the other. If they rule against us on a preliminary injunction, it allows us to appeal it immediately. But if they sit and hold it and just sit on it, it creates problems. Wow. The other one is, are you planning to challenge this on uh, interstate commerce? Because this does affect interstate commerce. And I thought the states were pretty effectively locked out of regulating interstate commerce. For example, if somebody says, well, I want to buy a gun uh, in, in, uh, in Washington state, and the federal government has told the Washington FFLs, uh, the, their federal firearms licensees, so they're all licensed by the federal government, uh, I'd like to buy a gun. Uh, from an Oregon store, and he's, or I'd like to buy a gun here and have it transferred to Oregon, and he's told by the federal government, you have to respect the state laws of Oregon. You need a permit and to take the class. So Oregon has just uh, acted on, on interstate commerce, haven't they? I would think they have. We have a similar claim against the Washington anti-gun law that's currently sitting, still sitting in court. Uh, but I think our initial claim on this one won't be that. It's really going to be straight on the magazine ban and the so-called permit before you can purchase uh, and training requirements because it's cleaner, it's quicker, and uh, we were looking for a, a, as quick a victory as we can get. You can always come back with a trailer piece of you know, a, you know lawsuit later on. We're going to try and keep it simple for the judges and uh, not get as entailed as interstate commerce on this one immediately. All right, so that that's your that's your hold card for later on. Correct. Alan, please accept my apology for labeling you as a lawyer. I know that all of us <laughs> non-lawyers never want to be labeled as lawyers. That is Alan Gottlieb, the founder of the Second Amendment Foundation. Alan, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS, and I'll get to your calls in the next segment. 866-439-5277. Naysayers go to the head of the line on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. This segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Our Twitter poll on the example of Lynn County Sheriff Michelle Duncan. Should Oregon County Sheriffs enforce the unconstitutional requirements of Measure 114? I would say no. And as the sheriff points out, she has the discretionary authority to do just that. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, glad to have you at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers go to the head of the line and emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. Eric, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? So I've got a question slash maybe conspiracy theory. Uh, the question being with Oregon's vote by mail, when are those, when are your ballots counted? And I guess huh. the partial conspiracy theory to that would be if a lot of people vote early because you receive your ballot early and those votes are then counted, couldn't that information possibly be used to skew the polls? Um and I guess what, what kind of led me to this was, you know, Betsy Johnson was polling pretty high early on and then started falling off pretty hard. And could that be a result of mailed-in ballots being counted and being given that information to polls? Or, in, or what are your in, thoughts in, No. In both Oregon and Washington, and, and this is one I'm willing to discuss, uh, you know, the, uh, making a change in. Right now, if you get your ballot roughly three weeks out from the election, and you, you vote it immediately and deliver it back, whether by mail or in person. That ballot sits there uncounted until Election Day. They can prep the ballot. They can verify the signature. They can remove it from the envelope, but they cannot count the votes till Election Night. That's one I think we ought to think about changing. But right now, what happens is all those ballots come in for up to three weeks, including the ones on Election Day, and they sit there uncounted. Now, even if they leaked that information, the public opinion polls, at least in theory, the, the pollsters are not connected to the government. The pollsters are private companies. They go out and do telephone surveys. They occasionally do in-person surveys, mostly on the phone. Um, and they sample public opinion. So their results have nothing to do with the ballot that has been cast. That answers your direct question. So they can't count the ballot till election day till the polls have closed that night. And so and in and even if they could, let's say we've got a bunch of ballots in and they all seem to be going for Tina Kotek. Whether that would affect public opinion or not is is a whole nother question. Uh, but but the answer is they can't count the ballots until election day. So does that does that get to answer your question? Yeah, no, like I said, it was it was a question, you know, and I'm like, well, I could I could maybe see how that could change or might influence some polls if that information was used. But knowing it that doesn't. It's, it's not allowed to be used, it uh, doesn't. I think know, what happened, uh, I, I think what happened, Eric, is as we got closer to the election, people realized Betsy Johnson, God bless her. She's been a friend for a long time, but I don't pick uh, who I vote for or who I recommend based on friendship. I, I pick it based on who I think is best. I thought Christine Drazen was best. Betsy Johnson never broke 20%. Uh, in all the polls I saw going back to June, she never got past 20%. Now, she got a pile of money, almost $4 million in total, a lot of it from uh, Phil Knight. And uh, Christine Drazen got some money from Knight at the very end. But what happened was, as people realized, I'm about if I'm going to cast a ballot, and I cast it for Betsy Johnson, and she hasn't broken 20%, 
And Drazen was always either at 30 or higher. And, and Kotech was right behind her. And in fact, those polls, to the extent that public opinion polls are accurate, I think they're more of just a general guide. They're like a weather vane. They tell you roughly which direction the wind is blowing. Uh, but but Kotech always trailed Drazen in the public opinion polls. And then by the end of it, Drazen was, was toward 40% or even a little above 40. And Kotech was, again, right behind her. And Betsy... At that point, a lot of people who were going to vote for Betsy Johnson, I think, said to themselves, I'm about to vote for somebody who's not even in the front of the race. You're voting for the horse that's trailing way behind. And the two front runners, one of them is going to take it. And I think a lot of people reconsidered and then told the pollsters, I'm going to vote for one or the other. Now, the question is, for me, if you want to analyze the election, is, well, did Betsy Johnson pull more from Tina Kotek, or did she pull more from Drazen? My theory from the beginning was she is a former Democrat. She is pro-abortion. And those two strikes, I would guess D- Democrats would be more likely to vote for her than Republicans uh, in general. So out of the 20% or 19% she got at one point, I would guess 12 or 13 of it came from Democrats, maybe six or seven of it came from Republicans. So as those people looked at the results and toward the end, she was pulling, I think, eight or nine percent. So she lost lost half of the support she had. Where did that support go back to? Well, if if it was originally a Democrat who said, I'm going to vote not for Kotech because Kotech is a despicable character. I'm going to vote for Betsy Johnson instead. And then they realized Betsy Johnson ain't going to win. So then they said, well, then I'll go back and vote for who I would have voted for originally. And they switched their vote, I would guess, back to Kotech. I think Betsy Johnson's well, failure. That, Go ahead. Well, and for me, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I was a Betsy Johnson supporter throughout the, the, the beginning of the campaign. Um, and for me, I, I think would have been my first choice for a multitude of reasons. But as it, you know, I voted on election day, like I think God intended, and dropped off my ballot in person. For who? And it, it, at that point, realized she doesn't have a chance in my mind of, yep. of winning. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it to uh, my second choice, being Dre's, and I was completely against against Kotek. So there you go, Eric. Thanks very much. You got the Lars Larson show on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer? They're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, two, two days after a rather consequential election, and much of America is still waiting for the final results, not just Oregon and Washington, but also in Arizona and other states where somehow they can't get the count done that quickly. And, of course, Washington State is one of those. Let me remind you, back in August in Washington State, 
His vote totals made it look like the congressional candidate that I endorsed, Joe Kent, may have lost. But then uh, the late vote actually saved the day. I want to find out if the same is true today as we wait for the final results in the third congressional district race. Joe Kent joins me now, retired Special Forces warrant officer and Gold Star husband of fallen senior Navy Chief Shannon Kent, who was murdered by ISIS, running for Congress against Democrat well, I guess we could call her Katie Perez, uh, whatever name she's choosing to use right now. Uh, Joe, welcome back to the show. And when are we going to get a final result in this race? And do you believe the late vote is going to make the difference for you? Hey, Lars, great to be with you. I mean, your guess is as good as mine, honestly, at this point. And when, when we're going to get a result, we have a holiday tomorrow. So, unfortunately, I, and I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like that's going to slow things down even more. Uh, like you, you said, during the primary, it took them a little bit over a week to actually come up with a result. They knocked off on Friday and didn't give us any updates until that following Monday afternoon. So, whatever we get this afternoon, unless they announce otherwise, I, it may be the last, uh, last ballot drop that we get until uh, until Monday. Unfortunately, yesterday, they, they only uh, released 21,000 ballots, which I think is pretty light. Um, I believe the late votes are going to pay off for us. I mean, that's what most of the projections say, including in the, uh, the New York Times. Most of our people voted on game day, the day of. Um, I, I've been told, and I don't know this is, if this is true, but the fact that we have a, a competition uh, for Secretary of State, we have a writing candidate, Brad Clippert, that the ballots, which most of which would be Republican, the ballots that have a writing candidate on there are are taking even longer, and, and most of the folks that voted for me also wrote in Brad Clippert. Well, Joe, I'm going to have to bleed guilty to that because I wrote in Brad Clippert, and I also voted for <laughs> you, too. as I promised to do, so yep. I may be one of the guilty parties. <laughs> but the elections officials know about all this. Is this the way every American election is going to go going on into the future? Look, I think unless we demand transparency, and that, that's the problem. I mean, look, there we've been now, uh, we're well over 24 hours after election night, and they've only given us a, a small amount of results. They won't tell us how many votes remain. Everybody's guessing. We think there's somewhere between 120 and 130,000 votes remain. Um, and then we're just told that, hey, every now and again, we're going to slow drip out some information. And if you if you question that, then you hate democracy and you're a horrible person. So I, I, I really believe we need to get rid of the, uh, the mail-in voting, get rid of the machines, get people back to voting in person with an ID and we hand count it in front of observers and we know the results that night like we don't stop working until we have results I mean because there are other countries on this planet who've had elections this year that have in-person voting they have voter ID required and they have populations that while they're not as big as America America has a bigger population but has a bigger group of people who are counting the votes and doing all that they managed to get their elections done in a single day and produce results that day as America used to going all the way up to about 2020. And, and then all of a sudden under mail voting, they, they can't get anything done right. And there are gigantic errors and mistakes. Uh, ballots don't get sent to people in, in, in both Oregon and Washington. I'm hearing from voters who said, hey, I checked online. I, might, I dropped off my ballot two weeks ago. They haven't even still marked it received yet. I mean, this is the kind of thing that suggests a system that is rife with opportunities for fraud. And I want to ask you straight out, do you think there's any uh, shenanigans going on with this election, with your election? 
You know, I don't know, but the thing is, it's just not a transparent process. I mean, it, it's incredible. I was part of the lawsuit that sued for a full forensic audit, but the first writ of mandamus we put in was against Jay Ensley and Bob Ferguson for how easy it is to get a ballot, especially just by registering uh, to get a driver's license. You can get registered to vote that day without proving that you're actually a citizen. So it's incredibly easy to get access to a ballot here in Washington state. And then after that, it's a completely non-transparent process. Like we don't know what the actual procedures are. We don't know how the votes are tabulated. We use the ERIC system that was funded by Soros. So look, if they're trying to inspire trust uh, in the voters, they're absolutely failing at that. And it should be much more of a transparent process. But right now, here we are, we're just waiting for them to just piecemeal out this information for us. And and again, they, they call us every name in the book if we dare question it. Well, and, and the thing is, Joe, I get called all kinds of names, too, but I'd point out that within the last two months, the state of Colorado had to admit they accidentally sent out notices to 30,000 illegal aliens, yep. both green card holders and illegals, saying, are you going to vote? And the fact is they're not allowed to vote. And all Colorado would say was, well, hey, the system would have caught that if anybody had tried to vote. You say, you mean the same system that sent out the notices to 30,000 foreign nationals inviting them to vote would have caught them if they had voted illegally? Sure, I should believe that, shouldn't I? Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where if they say it, we have to believe them. But the second we bring up, you know, logical arguments like that, you know, then, then we're, we're called, you know, threats to democracy and whatnot. But look, I, I'm going to push once I'm in Congress, I'm going to push for a full audit of 2020 for this very reason, because I want to show how vulnerable unsolicited mail-out ballots and closed code tabulation machines are. So we can start making real changes at the state level to bring back, you know, voting in person, voter ID, and then actually having real audits. I, I don't think an audit is an unreasonable request. No, I don't think it's. Uh, in fact, it's one of the things I ask of all the Republican uh, of all the candidates who are running for uh, for governor in Oregon. Unfortunately, none of the ones I interviewed, Kotek appears to be the one who's won. But again, we're asked to take it on faith that uh, they counted the votes. And sh- so what a surprise. A Democrat won the contest and take our word for it. The whole system is valid. Even though, as I said, there are lots of people out there who say, I voted, I know I voted, my husband voted, we dropped our ballots weeks ago, we're still still not even marked as having been received. And I'll tell you something else that goes outside the country. Brazil has an electronic system. And you know what Brazil has said? Apparently their military is in charge of watching the voting system. Uh, CNN even reported this story. Brazil's military said, we don't find any evidence of fraud but we can't entirely rule it out in their recent presidential election. So if you think vote by mail is bad, wait till they suggest that they make it all electronic. Then then who knows who's in control? And I, and I would guess that George Soros is probably going to try to have a hand in it. Anything else you want to tell voters out there as you wait to find out whether or not you're the representative or the socialist Perez ends up as the member of Congress from the 3rd District? Yeah, absolutely. It's not over yet. Everyone needs to go to wavote.gov or go to my social media and check to make sure that your ballot has not just been received, but it's been accepted. We can ballot cure up until the 28th, so this might come down to ballot curing. So go to my social media, Joe Kent 16JAN19. I've got screenshots on there that walk you through it, or go to wavote.gov to make sure your vote was actually counted. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, what's that term ballot cure? Well, Joe, I have terrible handwriting, but when I signed my ballot, I signed it carefully and I wrote down my phone number. And uh, even Tina, what's what's a ballot cure? I said, if they find that my signature doesn't match, they're supposed to call me and say, Lars, your signature didn't match. And I will run down there and I will make sure that I can prove to them. 
Heck, I'll even volunteer to offer them picture ID if they want to see that. That's Joe Kent, who I sincerely hope will be the next member of Congress from Washington's 3rd Congressional District, and I hope the socialist Perez loses. Coming up in a moment, we've got to talk about some of the crazy stuff that crazy slow Joe has been saying, and I'll get to your phone calls and emails on the Lars Larson Show. Now, I've been given a list of 10 people that I'm supposed to call on, and you're all supposed to ask me one question, but I'm sure you'll ask me more. And uh, so let me start off with a list I've been given. Um, uh, Zeke Miller, Associated Press. Now, can you believe it? That's Joe Biden. That is the leader of the free world, the commander in chief of the United States military and the president of the United States saying he has been given a list of people he's supposed to call on and he's only supposed to take one question from each one of them. And this joker is literally still talking about the idea that he's going to run for re-election two years from now and still be serving as president six years from now. Welcome back to the Lawrence Larson Show. This is what a big joke we've got. In fact, a lot of you have sent me memes that go to the question of what happens when Joe Biden, who can barely form a sentence, has a conversation with the new senator from the state of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Can you imagine what a laugh riot that's going to be? Well, that it would be great if it was on a TV show, if it was some kind of fiction. The fact is, this is the reality in the United States of America. A commander-in-chief who doesn't have his brain about him, who is apparently told what to do by his staff. And I'll point out to you that for the better part of the last two years, Joe Biden keeps telling reporters, I'm not supposed to answer questions. I'm not supposed to do this. I'm supposed to go here. I'm supposed to go there. You're the president of the United States. Do you understand? Nobody tells you what to do. You have a staff that serves you. Except that I think that Joe really knows that there are some people in the background who are actually calling the shots, and he's just there. My theory still goes back to the idea uh, that Joe Biden actually uh, only ran for president for one reason. He said he was actually inspired to run for president because he was so concerned about Donald Trump. Now, you know what I think he was concerned about? He was concerned about Hunter Biden. Because Hunter Biden, it seems very clear to me, has committed some very serious crimes. Not just tax crimes, not just buying a gun illegally, which he did, and not just having that gun retrieved from a trash can by his Secret Service detail. Now, Hunter Biden committed crimes and sold influence at the White House when Joe Biden, his dad, was vice president of the United States. I think Joe Biden was inspired to run for president because he thought, if I run for president and I act like I'm confused, maybe I won't get prosecuted until after I leave office and maybe people will take pity on me. In fact, the acting confused part of that, that seems to be going very, very well. Let me give you an example from just yesterday. Take a listen to this. Biden's being a popular, a cop, a Biden's being an extremist. Yeah, Biden's being an extremist because he can't say apocalypse. Um, Joe Biden is thoroughly confused. He doesn't know what's going on. But boy, when it comes to some of his tried and true issues, Joe Biden is right in there. He's not listening to the American people at all. In fact, uh, I don't know how he plans to do this, given that it appears fairly clear at this point that the Republicans will probably have a majority in the Senate. Maybe it'll only be one vote. And they'll have a solid majority, probably 224 votes in the House of Representatives, which means Joe Biden is going to have a tough time getting anything done on Capitol Hill. And yet and still, 
Joe Biden, who's said crazy things like if an intruder came to his house, he's told his wife to go out on the balcony upstairs and fire off a couple of blasts from a 12 gauge. This is the level of knowledge about firearms that Joe Biden has. But he knows what he doesn't want you to have. Take a listen to what he still says about what the Democrats like to call assault weapons. I'm going to ban assault weapons. They're going to try like the devil. Yeah, you're going to try like the devil. As far as I'm concerned, any American president who vows to take away the Second Amendment rights of Americans, you are the devil. Now, speaking of incoherent public figures, let's take a listen to John, well, not to John Fetterman himself. You understand that he won the election. He beat Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. And this guy who can barely form a sentence, who clearly has not just speech difficulties, but he has cognitive issues. Now, that makes me sound like a doctor. I would say less complicated. He can't think straight. And yet he is still a United States senator. And apparently this has inspired some of those on the left. In this case, I think it was MSNBC. Do you know that because he won the race for Senate, I still can't understand how any voter could vote for somebody who can't stand up and speak to a group of people and who has to have closed captioning to be able to understand what other people are saying to him. And yet listen to what the left on the mainstream media is saying about the political future, potentially, of John Fetterman. Listen to this. Fetterman as a nominee at some point for president, um, I know there's some variables, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Just but I just, you know, it, it, what he did in the in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump. I mean, it just makes it makes you wonder about his future. No, it doesn't make me wonder about his future. It makes me wonder about the sanity of the Democrat Party. Have you decided that it's really a great idea to put da brain damaged people like Joe Biden in the White House? And now you want to have John Fetterman, who can't speak. He apparently has a tough time thinking or forming thoughts or at least giving voice to them. He can't understand what people are saying. And you've decided that, I don't know, those kind of cognitive difficulties might make the attributes of a future president of the United States. And then we've got Donald Trump. Now, listen, I want to tell you something. I, I can tell you what is going on in politics right now. I've had a lot of people say, well, Trump keeps saying mean things about Ron DeSantis. Look, they are likely to become competitors. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, very did very well on Election Day, won by about 19 percent. Good for him. And a lot of people look at him as presidential timber. OK, fine. I look at him as potentially representative of the establishment wing of the Republican Party. And that is not a good thing. And I think there is nothing the media would love more than to be able to put Trump to the side, even though 71% of Republican voters say that if the nomination process was held today, they would pick Donald Trump as the nominee. And I know there are people who groan about that. The same crowd of people who said, oh, I don't like the mean tweets. I think what's, what's going to happen is that the media, the left, and certain members of the Republican Party are going to push Ron DeSantis as hard as they possibly can. And why? Well, it was summed up well by a guy I've known for years, and that's Dick Morris, longtime political consultant. He's getting a little long in the tooth, but he makes a very good point about what this is an attempt to do. It's an attempt to split the Republican Party down the middle because that's the only way that Democrats can win. Listen to Dick Morris. Let's look at Trump. I think that uh, I think that he has changed the party enormously and energized it. 
And we have no idea what DeSantis will do. But the more important thing, Rob, is DeSantis would split the Republican Party. The reason all these people are so pro-DeSantis isn't that they love him that much. It's they want to stop Trump. And they know the only way they can is either by Merrick Garland or Ron DeSantis. Now, I'm going to point something out to you. There was a time when the Republican Party decided that the late John McCain would make a great presidential candidate. He didn't. He was a terrible presidential candidate. As far as, uh, for my money, he was a terrible U.S. senator. Yes, he gets his marks for having been served in the military and been a prisoner of war. But as a U.S. senator, he was a despicable character. The fact that he took part in the Russia hoax by pushing the Steele dossier makes him even more despicable. But I think that the mainstream media, remember what they did. They said, oh, John McCain's your guy until he became the nominee. And then the and then the mainstream media said, no, no, he's a terrible person. They want to set him up and make us lose. And I'm not buying that lie. Not once, not again. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll be glad to get back to your phone calls in the next segment at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers always go first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I guess I have a dog in the fight here. I was born, and nobody decided to let me die, so I'm, a, I'm a biased in, in that case. Uh, I'm also biased against people like Barack Hussein Obama, who is a state senator in Illinois, argued against what was known then as the Born Alive Act. It's disgusting to even hear the description, but basically it goes this way. If a young lady goes in seeking an abortion, and then the baby she's trying to abort is accidentally born alive, what duty does the doctor in that case have? Well, I would say the doctor should do everything he or she can to save that baby's life. I also used to live in the state of Montana as a little kid, uh, not as an adult, uh, and I like the state of Montana, but Montana just had an interesting vote on that very question. And Wesley Smith has written about it. Uh, he's at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism, and he's written about it for National Review. Wesley, welcome back to the program. Hey, Lars, good to talk to you again. So what did the voters in what people used to think of as a conservative state like Montana do with referendum 131? And what was the simple thing that 131 asked if, if it had been passed by voters? Well, it, it, it basically said, in fact, I'll read it to you. It's very quick. Um, a born alive infant, including an infant born in the course of an abortion, must be treated as a legal person under the laws of the state with the same rights to medically appropriate and reasonable care and treatment. In other words, a baby is a baby is a baby, right? Yep. Uh, they, the people of Montana voted no, uh, about 53 to 47. And I decided to take a look at to why that might possibly be. And the problem arose with the second clause. And here's the second clause. A health care provider who is present at the time a born-alive infant is born shall take all medically appropriate and reasonable actions to preserve the life and health of the infant. That shouldn't be a problem either because of the terms medically appropriate and reasonable. In other words, it would not be medically appropriate and reasonable to continually zap a child who was dying, let's say, with the uh, electric uh, cardiac uh, resuscitators, right? Right. Sometimes you just have to let nature take its course or you have to provide palliative care. 
But what the media did, because I then looked at, at what some of the media reports, is they left out in their description of this initiative the medically appropriate and reasonable part, and they reported it as if every baby would have to be saved no matter what by doctors, and that scared people. Doctors were saying, well, we'll leave the state. Uh, there was one woman quoted in one um, TV uh, or TV media report saying, I wouldn't have been able to cuddle my dying baby. They would have forced the baby in another room. Not true. The most egregious I found was NPR. Listen to this. This is a quote from the NPR report. Uh, LR-131, that's the referendum. A referendum for the Born Alive Infant Protection Act would require doctors to um, require doctors provide resuscitative care to infants born at any stage of development. That's flat out false. If it isn't medically reasonable or appropriate for resuscitation, it would not have had to have been provided. Right. But because they put that one clause in, that opened the door to fear-mongering, in my opinion. If they had just left it with the first clause I read, that all infants are to be treated equally and provided appropriate uh, care, I don't think you'd have had the problem, and I, I hope uh, it would have passed. Well, and Wesley, I want you to describe, because I, I, I bring experts like you on. You've been writing about life issues for a long, long time at the Discovery Institute. And I want people to understand, because this goes all the way back to that discussion where Barack Obama, as a state senator, argued against born alive protections. What happens when an abortion is attempted and the baby is born alive anyway? What do doctors routinely do with that baby? who is unwanted by mom, but now is a living, breathing human being, what do they usually do with that baby if they don't have born alive protections? I don't know about the word usually, um, but there have been many reports, uh, because this will often happen in an abortion clinic. So there have been many reports, and there have actually been a few prosecutions of abortionists taking those babies and just sticking them in a pan and letting them die. Uh, there was another also room. the case... Yes. Uh, there was also the case uh, in Philadelphia. I forgot the name of the doctor. Oh, Horrible. Gosnell. Uh, Kermit, Kermit yes, Gosnell, God. the biggest mass murderer in American history, bigger than Ted Bundy or the Green River Killer or anybody else. Yeah, he would he would snap their spinal cords when they were born alive because he would often do very late abortions. Um, the, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, you'd think, wouldn't be necessary. Uh, but even uh, just a few years ago, when when uh, they were talking about a, uh, an, a uh, abortion law in Virginia, uh, remember the, gov the former governor, Governor Northam, Northam, yep. yes, yeah, said, "Well, you know, if the baby's born alive, we'll uh, resuscitate it and then have a conversation with the mother, basically about letting it die, him or her die." So th this whole area around infants. Um, and infanticide is becoming more pressing because uh, states are passing laws allowing abortion through the ninth month. California has passed such a law. New York has passed such a law. Vermont has passed such a law. And there are others. And if you're going to have seven, eight, nine-month um, term abortions, some of those babies are going to be born alive. And you also have proposals now being uh, put in states like California, and there was, I believe, one in Maryland, that could have been interpreted very easily and not by twisting the words to say that if a, if a child dies in the first month, you can't even investigate the cause. Now, those uh, 
proposals were amended because there was some uproar in the media. But we're moving into those circumstances. And, of course, there are bioethicists such as Peter Singer of Princeton and many others in the mainstream bioethics community who believe that infanticide should be permitted because an infant is not a person. And what the uh, Montana law tried to say is, wait a second, all infants are persons. And I I think that's an appropriate and reasonable law to pass. You know, I think it is, too, because you've written about the fact that this is not a static subject. It's changing. It changes with technology. It changes with people's attitudes. And it seems as though there's one part of the pro-abortion crowd that says, yeah, we've got abortion to the ninth month, but now we'd like to kind of start edging into infanticide, where a parent can say, two weeks in, this baby has problems. Couldn't we just let it go or somehow dispose of it? We didn't do it before the birth. But now we'd kind of like to do it. And as you said, Peter Singer, of, he's still at Princeton, isn't he? I mean, he's a, he's yes, a highfalutin he and, and uh, academic. He's probably and, the most uh, influential bioethicist in the world. And so a guy who, who makes ethics his trade is saying, maybe you should have 30 days. You know, kind of like you buy a new car. And if it turns out there are problems with the car, you just take it back and say, I don't want this anymore. That parents would be allowed to make that kind of choice with a human life after the baby is born. This is what we're edging up to, or or trying that one, there's one side of the aisle that wants to normalize that kind of thinking. It, it, and Peter Singer, I would hasten to add, is the New York Times' favorite philosopher. I mean, he should. He's at Princeton. He was brought to Princeton from Australia, not in spite of his support for infanticide, but because of it. Unbelievable. you got to read the latest story from Wesley Smith. You'll find it at National Review, just so you know where to find it. Wesley, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. That's Wesley Smith, author and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. I'd love to hear somebody make the argument why it's okay. Yeah, if you have you plan to abort the baby and the abortion didn't work and the baby is still alive, it, just put it in another room in a few hours without any kind of care, you know, love or warmth or food or water. The baby will just die. And then you'll be shut of it. You'll you'll be done with it. No problem whatsoever. Is that really the kind of society that we're in where life means that little? Glad to get your calls. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And this segment of the show is always brought to you by Nick Shivers. Go to nickshivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. And he'll do it, believe me. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. nickshivers.com for details. Now, our Twitter poll today, should Oregon County sheriffs, because this involves Measure 114, which appears to have passed in Oregon, it'll likely go into effect to answer the question I've been getting a lot in the last last uh, week or so it goes into effect 30 days after the vote is certified so if the vote is certified from the november 8th election on december the 8th then it goes into effect on the 8th of january if i'm off by a day or two i apologize for that but we've already had one sheriff tell us sheriff michelle duncan of lynn county we're not enforcing the ban on gun magazines over 10 rounds she's her deputy simply will not enforce it and she also knows this may literally affect her police officers and or sheriff's deputies in her case, uh, because the law appears to say, yeah, you can have a gun at work, Mr. Police Officer or Sheriff's Deputy, but to buy a gun outside of work, you're going to have to take a class that doesn't exist yet and get a permit that doesn't exist yet, and it may not exist for a period of time. 
Depends on the county. I would expect the more liberal counties in the state of Oregon, because this is an Oregon law passed by the voters or appears to have passed by the voters. Um, the more liberal counties, I don't think they're going to bend over backwards or run real fast to try to get this process in place. So should the county sheriffs enforce the unconstitutional requirements of Measure 114? Uh, today's Twitter poll, at Lars Larson Show on Twitter, LarsLarson.com on our website. Uh, not much censorship there. Uh, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, we always start with naysayers, and J.C. is just such a naysayer. J.C., thanks for uh, listening and thanks for calling as a naysayer. What do we disagree about? Uh, yes, good afternoon, Lars. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I disagree with you on Trump's. Uh, I think he's done for the Republican Party. And then if you let, let me explain why. Um, sure. You know, back in, tw- back in 2016, Trump took everybody back to the third grade. It was fun, calling people names, making up names. You know, it, it was oh, it was great, wasn't it? I mean, everybody had a good time name-calling and being a bully and whatnot. I don't know I don't what know. that has to do with anything. He did a good job. <laughs> well, I mean, really, are we worried about style or are we worried about performance? Because Joe Biden's got style. I mean, he might be everybody's favorite senile granddad, but he doesn't do a very good job. So if, if it's all going to be on style points and mean tweets, tell me. Okay. Well, the people spoke in 2018. You know, they didn't like that. In 2020, they, they just spoke a little louder. In 2022, they spoke a little louder. And I think if he runs, they're going to speak a little louder in 2024. Just follow the trend. I know you're If you're right, but J.C., you told the producers we need to move on from Trump. Let me suggest a problem. The party does not pick the candidate. The voters pick the candidate. And do you know what the public opinion, if the public opinion polls are even close to right, let's say they're within five points. Right now, the polls say that American conservatives want Trump by about a 71% margin. Ron DeSantis, I think, gets around 10%. Uh, Mike, Mike uh, Pence, his former vice president, gets about five. So what you're saying is you want the party, hold on, you want the, do you want the party to tell the voters what to do, or do you want the voters to make the decision? Lars, those are poll numbers that were taken at his rallies. They even picked Liz Cheney. For no, the, no, the, these are these are polls. These are polls done by national polling <laughs> firms, not taken at his rallies. So no. that's a lie. Please don't no. lie on the show. But I'm asking you, know, you if you know, um, if no, the American no, voters choose Trump, who are you to say they can't? I'm not. I'm not. If that's what the American people want, then great. But they're not going to. They're never going to vote. And you want to do it on style points, not based on how he performed in the job. No, he just needs to, he needs to grow up and be a man and, and act like a man. He was the laughing stock of the world. He made us look like fools. Well, hold on, J.C., that's your opinion, but tell me this. Yes, if, he's such, if he's such a laughing stock, why is it that 71% of conservative voters want him back in office? That's well. How much of the population, voting population, is that large? Maybe ten, fifteen percent. Well, you've got basically you've got a country that's about half conservative and half liberal. I would argue we're a center-right country, so a little more than half on the conservative side. Yeah. Of those people who will vote for a Republican, seventy-one percent of them want Trump, and about ten percent want DeSantis, and five percent want Pence. So who should make the decision? Should a political party and the established? Hold on. Should the establishment Republican Party decide who we're allowed to vote for, or should the voter decide who we want? 
Uh, you know, that, yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a system in place that, that does that. And, you know, honestly, if the Republicans want to have anything, they just need to get rid of Trump. And Are yes, you a Republican? Vote, you know, Are you a Republican? Yes, I am. And I've, yes. Did you vote for Trump? No, and I didn't vote for Biden. Who'd, who'd you vote, vote for? Vote for any, no Democrats. Who'd you vote Nobody. for? I voted for I voted so for, I you're, voted you're, you're a guy who sits on the sidelines and doesn't even take part in voting, but you want to have a vo- I mean, no. you have a right to your for your neither, opinion. Neither, 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 I, vote, I vote for qualified candidates. None of them are qualified. Is that well, fair hold enough? on. So, so you just wasted your vote and you didn't even bother to cast a vote of any kind? It, it was no waste at all. It you're was, like the guy who didn't go to the football game but still has an opinion on who should have won it. The, the score is says who wants it, regardless on which team I pick. Well, except that you didn't even pick a team. You didn't even buy a ticket. You weren't even sitting in the stands. I'm not even sure why your opinion matters. You still have a right to voice it. But does your opinion matter if you choose not to even take part in the American representative government process? I don't think so. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that... Whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Radio Northwest Network, and we at least attempt on a daily basis to deliver honestly provocative talk for the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, and I think we managed to accomplish it most days. Glad to have you with me. If you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, I'll give you the numbers and all that in just a moment, but I want to ask you a question. There was a shooting. There was a shooting in Seattle's Ingraham High. I, they may say it Ingram High. But in any case, the uh, this left a student dead. And they have two suspects in custody. One is 14 years of age and one is 15 years of age. Now, neither of the two teens has been formally charged, but they were in custody as of last night for their role in that shooting. A judge agreed with prosecutors there is probable cause to charge the suspected shooter with first-degree murder. The 15-year-old could face could face unlawful possession of a firearm, among other charges. You know, I don't have a great expert for Washington State uh, when it comes to the prosecution community. I'd love to have one, by the way, maybe even a defense attorney who knows his or her way around that system. But if they're anything like Oregon, and I suspect they are, even if these two are found under the jurisdiction of the court, I think they use different language when it comes to teenagers, who are not 18 years of age, so they're not legally considered adults, they're not going to spend a lot of their life in prison. The current way that most of the systems want to handle kids is by saying, well, they're kids. We're only going to lock them up for a few years, and then we'll turn them loose. And it may even be that they'll be able to run around and say, I've never been convicted of a crime, even if they were involved in a crime that involved the death of a human being, as this crime does. So, Get this, though, because you know that I've argued that schools should have school resource police officers on campus. And too many schools in the last two years have decided to dump their school resource officer. And they didn't do it because of money. That's usually the excuse government uses. No, they say, 
We don't want police on campus because then sometimes those police officers will actually arrest a kid for committing a crime. And if your logical mind says, well, Lars, what do they do with a kid who's committed a crime? Now, the schools that are mostly run by liberals will say, why, if we arrest a child, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old who has committed a serious crime, why, they'll be in the school-to-prison pipeline. So we'll just handle it administratively within the school. Because after all, we all know that the schools are experts at law enforcement, at prosecution, at criminal justice. You know, isn't that what schools are expert at? No, they're not? Oh, okay. So a lot of the schools said we don't want the cops on campus. If the cops are on campus and a crime is committed, a person will be arrested. And we don't want that to happen. Now, remember, these are the schools that you pay. If somebody commits a crime on a school, it's as though the school administrations want to treat that campus as though it's sitting in a little bubble. It's not in the United States of America. It's not in the state of Washington in this case. It's in some kind of bubble where the crime or the laws of the rest of the country and of the state and of the county and of the city, those laws just don't exist. And the little darlings, 17 and 18-year-old thugs who might take somebody's life, Well, that's not really a crime, because if we actually found them guilty of a crime, they might actually have to be punished. And we don't want them to be punished for something like, you know, something as minor as killing somebody. No, you don't want them punished because that might turn them into criminals. Does that make you want, as it makes me want, to grab that person by the lapels and shake them and say, if you kill somebody, it's a crime. If you kill somebody, you should be arrested. You should be put on trial. And if the state brings evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, you should be found guilty of the crime and you should suffer the full consequences. But no, the schools don't want to do that. They are manufacturing thugs and criminals by doing this. They are communicating a message loudly and clearly to these little darlings. If you commit a crime, nothing much is going to happen. We're not going to we're not going to hold you responsible. Now, do you think we'll get more crime as a result of telling child criminals that they can get away with what they did, even if it involves taking the life of a fellow human being? Well, guess what? Seattle Police Chief Adrian Diaz says there were no school resource officers at Seattle schools because of staffing shortages. And at least Virginia Beach, who is chair of the Seattle Public Schools African American Advisory Council, at least she said, we need them back in schools. All it took was the death of one student to get them to change their tune and say, let's get the cops back in the schools. Let's hope this actually goes somewhere. We're going to reach out to Victoria Beach and see if she'll come on the show. Probably not this week, but perhaps next week. Let's go first to Richard. Hey, Richard, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Um, well, I got kind of a little bit of a workaround for 114. Um, I'll tell you, I've bought three uh, guns in the last, oh, four months, and uh, I didn't have to fill out an FFA or anything. I actually got them mailed to me in the mail. Now, who did that? Because that's it, illegal. <laughs> but go ahead. It Was no, it from no, out of state? Was it from no, out of state? Yeah, they're from out of state. But it, 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 that's but it, definitely it, illegal. That's illegal. Not when it's for Midway USA. I'm going to tell you something, uh, Richard. Any legitimate FFL dealer has to to ship that gun to another FFL dealer in the state where you live. So how are they getting around this legally? 
Because it's black powder cap and ball. Oh, okay, okay. Well, why didn't you say so? Black powder is treated under a different set of rules than every other kind of firearm, but that's your workaround? Buy black powder instead of using bullets? Well, if they're going to make it so you can't buy anything, something works in a pinch, doesn't it? Yes, it certainly would, and that's a good workaround. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Ron Arroy in Lacey, Washington. Hey, Roy, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KVI. What's on your mind? Hey, love your show, Lars. Been listening to you a lot lot of years now. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, I was listening to you. I was listening to you guys talk about uh, Trump and DeSantis. uh, I agree with that guy. I I think that uh, I call Trump the grump now. You know, he's, uh, you know, I can see why he was, Calling DeSantis DeSantis because Trump knows that DeSantis is uh, his prime, you know, opponent, his competitor, and I think there's ten percent of people that uh, only wants DeSantis over Trump. Come on, you know, uh, DeSantis just had an awesome week in. Uh, he did. He may Florida. come up in the polls, but Roy, at the end of the day, was well, I the right? Polls, the choice is is of the American voters. Of course it is. Listen. Okay. Let me talk for just a second. You know, um, you know, I've been a Trump supporter since 2016, at least for a while. I was didn't know which one to go, but you know, I've got all sorts of Trump T-shirts in my my house. Okay, but Roy, you're wasting Trump time. Hat. Why are you dumping him? Why are you saying you don't want him in 24? I'm just curious. Because he's ready to to throw DeSantis under the bus. They're competitors. The Have you ever party. been in a competition where you badmouthed your competition? Listen, he does. He he wants to destroy the whole party just for his own gain. You know? No, he wants the Republican Party to actually be conservative again and stop being the establishment go around uniparty that cooperates with the Democrats and sells out citizens. But Roy, thanks for the call. You got the Lars Larson show. Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh- Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's an exchange between Marco Rubio, senator from Florida, who, by the way, was reelected, and Victoria Nuland. Now, if her name doesn't ring a bell, she's not an elected politician. She's one of those State Department lifers who's been around the U.S. State Department through both Republican and Democrat administrations. And that exchange was last year. But it's significant today, and let me tell you why. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you on board for some honestly provocative talk. And if you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you... uh, if you want to uh, vote in our Twitter poll, there are two places to find it. LarsLarson.com, our website. And if you don't mind going to Twitter, you can go to at Show. But I want to play the full soundbite from that because understand, we've got a war going on in Ukraine. Russia has invaded. The United States has now spent uh, on, on, or on the order of $100 billion, and the Biden administration cl- clearly plans to send more. And at the very beginning of this, a lot of us raised the question. I did back in, I think it was March of this year. I raised the question, why does the United States still have biological research facilities in Ukraine? And the answer we got initially was, well, we don't have biological research facilities in Ukraine. We just have some things that are aimed at public health in towns like Kiev. And we said, no, hold on. You've got something, a program that is 
receiving hundreds of millions of dollars, has received actually billions of dollars over the last 30 years. And here's the explanation we got. The old Soviet Union fell apart in December of 92. And right after that, Ukraine was kind of like the Wild West. Uh, There was really nobody in charge. But they still had three things that were of great concern to the rest of the world. Number one, they had nuclear weapons that belonged to the old Soviet Union, except the Soviet Union didn't exist anymore. They also had chemical weapons, and that was a big concern as well. And they had biological weapons and biological weapons laboratories. So the United States and a number of other countries, but primarily we footed the bill, uh, we said, okay, we're going to help you get rid of the nuclear weapons. And the nuclear weapons were, for the most part, shipped back to what is now Russia, which is what was left of the old Soviet Union. Uh, And the United States and other countries took part in destroying the chemical weapons that were stored in Ukraine. But then then what, what the United States said was, you know, all those laboratories are staffed by a whole bunch of scientists. And if all those scientists that used to work for the Soviet Union find themselves unemployed, they've got a lot of technical know-how about how to make chem- uh, biological weapons, meaning diseases that will kill people. So we better put those people on the payroll because if we don't, they might still start going out and using their technical knowledge to engage in a little freelance activity. And they could freelance on, be- on behalf of a nation. They could freelance on behalf of a terrorist group. In other words, they become the mad scientist hired by some terrorist group or another country to make biological weapons that could end up being a major problem uh, for the United States and other countries. So we funded that. But then in the early part of this year, we said, why are we still funding All these research labs, almost four dozen of them in Ukraine. And the first thing we got was a flat-out denial. We don't have biological or chemical weapons research facilities in Ukraine. And then Victoria Nuland, who used to work for Obama, now works for Biden, and works at the State Department, she shows up in front of Congress. And Rubio asked her a question, and she didn't exactly answer it. In some way, she over-answered it. Play the longer version of the soundbite, please. Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. Now, here's the problem with that answer. If all these are is laboratories where they do public health research, you know, trying to hold down the flu or these days COVID, you know, uh, trying to control other public health issues. That's one thing. If, in fact, they are something that Victoria Nuland says We're very concerned this stuff could fall into the hands of the Russians and they might be trying to get their hands on it. Has the United States been funding chemical or sorry, biological weapons research in Ukraine? And if you say, Lars, that's a crazy conspiracy theory. Oh, crazy kind of like has the United States been funding biological research in communist China at a lab in Wuhan at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that was doing gain-of-function research to find out how to build a better version of COVID that might turn into COVID-19 and cause a worldwide pandemic and take millions of lives? You mean that kind of crazy? 
Yeah, that's the kind of crazy that you get accused of. Guess what I just got? There's a group called Judicial Watch that through Democrat and Republican administrations goes after information. They file FOIAs. FOIAs are Freedom of Information Act requests. I've filed FOIAs myself. It's the way you pry loose information from the government. At the state level, it's called a public records request. At the federal level, it's a Freedom of Information Act request, otherwise known as a FOIA. Well, here's what they just announced a few hours ago. Judicial Watch announced today it's received 345 pages of records from the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Well, that got my attention because that's the agency that has been funding all those research labs in Ukraine. And Judicial Watch goes on to say a component of the U.S. Department of Defense. So if you hear politicians say, oh, yeah, we've got some, you know, public health things that are going on in Ukraine. No, they got something that Victoria Nuland says we should be very concerned if this follows into the hands of the Russia. You're concerned about an agency that's just trying to, you know, make sure people don't get the flu or spread venereal disease or whatever. Now, here's what it says. Revealing, this is from Judicial Watch, that the U.S. has funded anthrax laboratory activities in a Ukrainian biolab. The documents show it in 2018, just four years ago. The records show $11 million in funding for the Ukraine Biolabs program in 2019. The records were obtained in response to a February 28th of this year, so about the time Russia was going to Ukraine, a Freedom of Information Act request to the Defense Threat Reduction Agency for funds or records that would show funding of a company called Black & Veatch involving work of any manner with biosafety laboratories in the country of Ukraine. Three phases of the work are discussed in the records, several of which have indicated they occurred on site at the Ukrainian labs, including research on anthrax. Now, it's one thing to say we're worried about public health, so we're worried about cholera or diphtheria or polio, we're worried about the flu or COVID-19. Can you imagine any legitimate reason to be doing research biological weapons research into anthrax in a foreign country and why the American taxpayer is paying for it and why are we so worried, or at least Victoria Newland of the State Department, the Joe Biden State Department is worried about this stuff falling into the hands of the Russians. It certainly raises some questions, and I'm looking forward to a Republican Congress demanding that they get some answers. Glad to be with you. Glad to take your calls, too, at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll get back to phone calls here in just a moment, but uh, glad to have you with me. If you want to dial in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. As always, naysayers go to the head of the line. If you've got the guts, call in. Just stick around for a couple of questions from me. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that two places, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. So we're going to have a brand-new Congress. Don't know the exact numbers yet, but it looks like a solid majority of sorts in the House of Representatives and maybe a bare majority in the Senate. That's still to be decided. So I thought we'd talk with Horace Cooper, our friend, who's a senior fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research and co-chair of the Project 21 National Advisory Board. How you doing, Horace? Good. Uh, you didn't mention that I also will have a new book out starting uh, either in January or February, Put Y'all Back in Chains, How Biden's Policies Harm Blacks. 
And by the way, that title comes from the mouth of Joe Biden, doesn't it? Because he he shouted that I out with a. Explain it. Yes. Can, can you duplicate how he said that? Because he did it in a little bit of dialect, didn't he? He did it, and he wanted to create the impression that he was the rescuer, and that uh, if you didn't vote for his party, uh, you literally might be put back in chains if you're black. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll advise everybody to get a copy of Put You All Back in Chains, except I can't say it the way Joe Biden did. But now that we have a new Congress, but we're still stuck with uh, uh, Crazy Joe, uh, can we get something done to help the lives of all citizens, including black citizens? Well, we're working on uh, some of the incoming new members uh, to let them understand how important it is that we pick freedom that we pick personal responsibility and limited government as the primary way to work. Now, I know a lot of your listeners have been complaining and uh, uh, talking about how the red wave that was supposed to occur didn't, and yet in many ways it's clear um, after the election the country is redder than it was before. Uh, the GOP got a six-point advantage overall uh, on Election Day. More Americans, uh, uh, almost six and a half million more Americans voted red than voted blue. Uh, more women than in the last midterm election voted red than blue. More blacks, in fact, black men uh, set what may appear to be a record, keeping the um, the blue support or Democrat support to only 65%. Remember, Barack Obama got 94% of the sure black vote, and that included 90% of black men. That's a staggering drop, and I've talked about it on this program that every election since then, since 2008, more blacks have voted for leaving the Democrat plantation, and those numbers have declined. This was staggering in its scope. If you look at 2010, I'll just finish on that. If you look at 2010, we also had a six-point advantage, and the gains were much more significant. Now, I just wanted to ask you, Horace, because I want you to expand on this. What's causing black Americans to do what a lot of conservatives like me and I, and I think you as well have said? Look, the Republican Party has been your friend for better than 170 years. Uh, the Republican Party, uh, the party of Lincoln, not the Democrat Party, the party of slavery, uh, the party that brought about women's suffrage, the party that brought about the sub-passage of the Civil Rights Act, all of these positive changes, and yet you side with the Democrats most of the time. What's causing black Americans to finally adopt that attitude? Well, really, it's the dinner table. You know, you had this candidate in New York City um, that said, okay, well, uh, no, inflation's not so great. You ought to consider doing what we did when I was a kid. Mom and Dad opened up a can of Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Chef <laughs> a lot of Americans, including those who are black, are looking around and they're asking themselves, is it really the time for pork and beans again? Why is it that there's so much month left over when the paycheck ends? You go to the gas station 
even though the president brags that the price has gone down, it was unbelievably astronomical. It was like a hurricane was happening, level five. Now we're at just level one. So isn't that so much better? Americans are still wondering, do I need to get a credit app so that I can go and fill up my gas? A lot of people, especially blacks, are seeing this, and I'm going to tell you the thing that has been most impactful. Just two years ago, black Americans and the rest of the country, but black Americans were setting records. More black Americans bought a new pickup truck for the first time than we had seen in almost 30 years. More black Americans were buying homes. More black Americans were sending their kids to good schools. And gasoline was all but free. It wasn't 30 years ago that this was happening. This was just two years ago. President Trump set six separate records for the lowest unemployment for black Americans. And the great thing, as we point out in our blueprint for black America, you can help blacks without hurting everyone else. Everybody prospered under Trump's policies because they relied on personal responsibility, limited government. Patriotism was popular again, and faith. And Horace, my favorite number from the Trump years, which, as you say, were only a couple of years ago, black business startups increased 400 percent, fourfold. And that says you didn't just get a job and a paycheck. You said, hey, I'm going to start a business. Now, I know a lot of startup businesses don't go anywhere, but that's okay. Some of them do. And some of them make people very prosperous. And that went up dramatically in the black community because they saw the opportunity that Trump had opened up. And and I don't think I, I'd love to see the most recent numbers under Joe Biden. I would suspect that they're not up. They're probably down. You'll see there has been a staggering fall in the number of black Americans interested in starting new businesses and a an even steeper drop in the number of businesses that just started that suddenly collapsed. Our president, that's Mr. Biden, has a war on the gig economy, the idea that I'm my own boss. If you've ever had an arrest record, if you think that if you show up at the workplace, you're at at a, a fancy big building to get a job that they might not give you a shot, the gig economy lets you show people I do the best work. You hire me. You just hire me. We don't need a middleman. We're not worrying about minimum wage. We're not worrying about Social Security payments or all of the other paperwork and red tape. And that was skyrocketing under Donald Trump, and it is just a puddle now, precisely because the Department of Labor has pushed new guidance saying, nope. You're an employee if you do this, and you do this, and you do this. If you believe and, and America's racist, which I don't, but if you do, why would you make people have an extra excuse not to do business with someone who's a minority?
And that's why the book is called Put You All Back in Chains. And as far as I'm concerned, Joe Biden's Department of Labor trying to say the gig economy is dead, that does put people back in chains, black and white. That's Horace Cooper from the National Center for Public Policy Research. We'll be back in a moment. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's what we like to call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And this segment of the show is always brought to you by Valhalla Tea. Uh, Valhalla Tea is a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every single bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. Our Twitter poll today, and this has to do with Ballot Measure 114. It has not officially passed yet. It appears to be passing. It is a de facto ban on the sale of all guns in the state of Oregon, as I say, until and unless you got to have both until law enforcement certifies people to give classes that you are now required to take if you want to buy a gun. You say, where do I take the class? You say, well, there aren't any yet. Well, why not? Well, because law enforcement isn't required to offer the class. It is assumed that they would, but it's not funded. And there's no process set up. Well, why do I have to take the class? Because you have to take the class to be able to get a permit. What do I need a permit for? To buy a gun. I thought I had a Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Yes, but the Constitution didn't say you have a right to buy a gun, as ludicrous as that argument sounds. So until and unless law enforcement certifies the classes and then offers the permits, they don't offer the permits now, Uh, I don't know if they'll set that process up quickly or slowly. I might check on the party registration of the folks in charge in the given county that you choose to seek. So at least one sheriff has already announced, and she did it on this show, uh, Sheriff Michelle Duncan of Lynn County uh, says that she will not enforce at least certain parts of Measure 114. One of the things Measure 114 does is it prohibits you from even possessing outside of your home, even if you already own it, a gun or the magazines for the gun that hold more than 10 rounds. I've got a few guns like that. If I lived in the state of Oregon, I could keep that gun in my house. I could not sell it. I could not give it away. I could not let anybody else inherit it. And if I take it outside of my house, I am committing a crime. Well, can can you move it around at all? Yes. And here's how you do it. You have to take the magazine, unload it, put it in a locked box. You can then take the locked box with the empty magazine anywhere you want to go in the state of Oregon. And can I use it? You can use it at the gun range. You can use it at your home. Well, what if I want to carry it on my hip? Nope, can't do that. Illegal. You're committing a crime. This is the craziness. She says, Michelle Duncan, the sheriff of Linden County, says she will instruct her deputies not to enforce the magazine ban. Now, that's part of the problem. But the bigger part is a de facto ban on buying guns at all. And you say, well, I'll just go buy out of state. Uh, I've had a few people say, well, you can still buy a gun out of state and just have it sent into Oregon. And you can buy long long guns out of state. Let me point something out to you. A good friend of the show, Dan Mitchell of Sporting Systems. And no, I don't have a dog in the fight there. I haven't bought a gun from Dan. Uh, But um, what he points out is that federal law, says that all those FFLs, and if you haven't heard the term FFL, an FFL is somebody licensed by the federal government to sell guns. That's the gun. That's the license you have to have to sell guns. So what does the FFL license say? Well, it says that you have to, you must obey the laws, not only of the state that you're in, but you have to obey the laws 
of any state that you're selling into. You say, hold on a second. Does that mean if somebody goes to anybody in Idaho or Washington or California or Nevada and says, I would like to buy a gun, I live in Oregon, fine. The dealer will tell you, uh, I'm allowed to sell you one as long as I obey the laws of your states. And as of about January the 8th, one of the laws of the state of Oregon, unless they've counted the ballots wrong, is going to say you can't buy it without taking a class that doesn't exist yet. You can't buy it without getting a permit that doesn't exist yet. And who knows when it will exist. But until that happens, you can't buy a gun. You can't buy it in the state, can't buy it out of the state. Let's go to Tom. Uh, Tom, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Lars, on 114. Now, in the state of Oregon, I can buy a gun and give it to one of my kids. But not anymore, not after this goes into effect. You'll have to take the class. You'll have to get a permit. No, but, but I mean, as of right now, I can buy a gun and give it to one of my kids. Yes, you can. Now, can I, there are some limitations, but yeah, you I can have, in general. If I, have, if I have a daughter that lives in Washington and she wants to give her dad a gun, he is a concealed weapons permit holder in Washington. Can yeah. she buy a gun and give it to me for Christmas? Uh, I, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know whether she could or not. I, I know that you are, that gets down to Washington state law and transfers as well. I think a family member can do that for another family member, as long as you're not guilty of a, a felony, if you don't have a felony record, haven't been sent to the, you know, to, no, uh, I to a, an, I got a concealed weapon permit. It doesn't, you know what, your concealed weapons weapon. permit doesn't mean Jack in Oregon anymore. Do you know that? No, but I mean, as of right now, it does. But I, I'm who would I check with to find out if she can legally buy it under her? Uh, you know, name? the best way to do it is yes, is go to it. Go to a dealer in Washington State and say, if my daughter wants to buy a gun and then gift it to me, can she do that? And I don't know whether she has to live in the same household as you or not. I think the fact that she's your daughter might let her give you a gun or you give her a gun. But again, I'm not, but the dealers know the deal on this because they know that if they ever violate one of these laws, they lose their license altogether. Tom, thanks a lot. But check in with a dealer, check in with Dan at Sporting Systems. He can probably tell you, and I'll shoot him a note and see if he can tell me. It's Thursday. Don't forget about First Amendment Friday tomorrow, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show.